we've been looking at uh, the epistle, uh, the letter to Romans in church over the last few weeks. Um, and as we found, uh, as we've been reading, it's a simple letter that doesn't need much explanation. It's always obvious what Paul's getting at. <laughs> Maybe. It's actually, it's, it's quite a dense letter. Um, it's a letter that um, when you read it, you have to stop and think and go, yeah, what's he actually getting at? And, uh, but those questions are the good questions. What Paul wants to do in the letter is he wants to write, and he is writing to a little group of people, as I keep saying, in the largest city in the world at that time. And he's writing to them to say, actually, you as followers of Jesus need to be confident in the fact that God has a massive plan for the world. And even though every time you come out of your little house where you've had church together and you see the Colosseum and you see the Roman armies and you see the coins that have the Caesar's head on and the Caesars say of themselves, we are sons of gods, don't you know? You need to know that the one you've been worshipping together is the God who is over all. And that message is as relevant today as it was then. Because the world around us has a way of explaining the world. And we can feel like the odd ones. We can feel like the ones, well, to be honest, and I've talked about this before, but we're the ones who, just listen to some of the things that you've been praying just a moment ago. How odd do you sound? I mean, <laughs> you're not. You're the only ones right in the head. You're the only ones that are right in the head. You're the ones that are going, Jesus, Lord. You're the ones that are going, God, you're awesome. God, you've done so much for us. But to the rest of the world, you're bonkers. But you're the only ones right in the head. And Paul wants you to know just how much God has done for you. You see, it is quite possible that all you need to know really is God loves you, Jesus died for you, and you're safe. But there's more to it than that. There's so much more to it than that. You can get by with that, but there's more to it. It's a good introduction, but it's not going to sustain you for the rest of life because there's going to be stuff happens to you in life that's going to possibly derail you and you're going to end up going, how did I end up in this mess? And Paul wants you to be absolutely uh, at confident, really, about your faith, but he also wants you to be secure in who God is and who you are. And that's why it's worth wrestling, not only with Paul's letter, but with the Bible. And I do mean wrestle with it. It's kind of like this big sort of, you've got to take it and say, I'm going to take it on. Because I don't understand it at first, but I'm going to take you on. I'm going to actually wrestle with you to understand it. And, and I've got to tell you, I've got a feeling you'll be doing it for the rest of your life. You don't master it, but you just become more in awe of it. Well, that's my hope anyway. So we're going to pick it up at uh, Romans chapter 6, halfway, um, which is verse 14, 15, um, just in case you didn't know where halfway was, because why should you? It's only 23 verses, and it's actually verse 15. Um, one of the things that I've been, we've been spending a lot of time talking about here in our church is sin. And uh, we've come to the conclusion we're quite good at it. Um, some of us are experts at it. Um, and we thought a lot about this idea of sin. Now, when we've been explaining sin, sin is not... Uh, 
last week, lost my temper, said some words that I shouldn't have used. That may be sinful, but no, there's more to sin than that. Sin isn't, uh, last week someone was in need and I just turned my head and walked in another way. That's sinful, but it's, there's more to sin than that. In fact, when Paul talks about sin in the book of Romans, he has this idea that sin takes on a personality, a character in the story. And he gets loose, it, uh, uh, loosed, unleashed, two words that actually just merged into one there, but it gets unleashed way back in the garden, the original garden. And when Adam and Eve make their decision to live independent of God, sin is unleashed in the world. And Paul uses sin as almost like a character in the story. Sin gets hold of people and won't let them go. Now, you've got to understand that because when you then see sin being spoken about, it's that sort of thing he's talking about. Sin's this character. And he started off by saying, actually, the world's in a mess, isn't it? And the problem is sin. And then he turns to people who think they've got it all together and are actually quite moral. And he goes, the problem is, you and I both know that when we point the finger at other people, there are three pointing back at us. Because actually the things we point out in other people are the very things sometimes. In fact, sometimes the exact things that we struggle in ourselves. And uh, he wants to lead you to the fact that Jesus has done so much to put us right. But that's, a, that's an interesting word, isn't it? Sin. It's a word that is kind of, we might be kind of at ease in church with it, but it's a difficult word to use in the rest of society. I don't know if it's still the case, but uh, some uh, slimming schemes have sins. It's spelled with a Y, but it sounds the same. And uh, I don't know much about it, but um, <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> but it's, I, I think I understand this bit. I, I think I understand this bit, that if... In a slimming context, if you sin, you take a sin or too many sins, you can pay them back later. We might use sin in, it's interesting, these sort of sin and sinful, and you might drink too much WKD, wicked, and get a really bad headache and the rest. And then the next day go, I'll try and get myself back together again now. or Sin City, the idea of something that's enjoyable. In fact, if you were, and you could try this if you really want, go back to work tomorrow and say, do you know what, I'm really worried about being quite sinful. And see what people say to you. And at least some people, the people who are nearest to you will say, oh, stop being so much of a killjoy. Don't be so down on yourself. You're not that bad. It's okay. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And we sing it together, and we sing it in all sorts of contexts. And the music carries us, and the lilting uh, music gets us going. And we sing it, and we sing it without thinking, but actually if we slow down enough to go, how amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch 
like me. We'd go, actually, uh, well, hang on. in fact, it's one of those sort of irregular words. I don't mind calling myself a wretch, but I'd rather you didn't call me a wretch. A wretch. And then somebody points out that John Newton, who wrote it, well, he was a slave trader. And we go, oh, well, yeah, he was a wretch. He was a wretch. He was, he was scum. But, but we, we're okay. We're happier with self-help books. Or we're happier simply to say, I couldn't help it. But Paul says, no, 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 no. Sin gets hold of us if we're not careful. So, let's read together. Let's try and make sense. Now, we're going to read quite a big passage, and I'm going to sort of not read all of it, but I'm going to read most of it. So, it's in chapter 6, verse 15. And he starts, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one you obey? Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that's now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin, and you've become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and you've become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's just concentrate on those few, those three verses there for a minute, because I think in those three verses, really, that's the key bit that he's saying, and then the rest of it unpacks it. Now, Paul is writing to a church um, that have slaves in the church. So they understand what slaves look like. And, and as I keep saying, slaves in, in Roman households, they weren't like the African-American Ameri- uh, uh, African slaves, that sort of awful in chains. Some slaves were treated very badly in Roman homes, but a lot of slaves actually just lived as part of the household. And they were kind of like servants and slaves. They were owned, but actually they just knew their place, if you will. They'd been bought, and um, some of them could buy their own freedom, And lots of slaves would save up to buy their freedom. And actually had a class of people called freed slaves. So it was possible to get out of slavery. But all of them understood that idea of slavery. So look what Paul does. He uses it in three verses. He uses slaves as the constant sort of image. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves... You're the slaves of the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or, and he doesn't actually use the word, but he means it, slaves to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that's now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin, and you've become slaves to righteousness. In other words, 
at one time, sin came and you were its slave. Now, the way sin works, we all actually know this, but the way sin works is sin, this character, if you will, sin, that wants to trap you into its ways, comes with a temptation. And that's like the bait. And the temptation is always attractive. Okay? The temptation is always attractive. The temptation is not the sin, but the temptation is always attractive. So you, you might just want to turn to each other now and go, what's your biggest temptation? No, you might not. Um, But whatever you're tempted with, it always feels right and it always feels good. Always. So whether that's self-righteousness, I'm never going to speak to that person again because I'm, I'm feeling I'm in the right, or whether it's lust, or whether it's greed, or whether it's power, it always feels right. And it feels good. And sin, in its temptation, says, you could have it. You can have it. You're right to feel like that. And then you take the temptation, and then it gets you. And you become addicted, or you become involved in a way that you can't get free. Let me just take two examples. Uh, You understand how this works, I know, but let me just use two examples. Alcohol is a really interesting example. And some of you know this much better than than I do, and much better than other people in the church. But for some people, alcohol, the temptation of alcohol is, I'm struggling with life over here. Alcohol seems to give me a way of dealing with it. If I have a drink, I can just feel better about the things I'm facing here. And because you've got real issues here, the drink becomes the way forward. And so the temptation comes, you take the drink. And if that becomes a pattern, then actually in the end, drink's got you. You've become a slave of the one you've given into. For other people, it's buying stuff. You know, for some of you, and actually, ironically, out of the two, it's easier to admit to a problem with alcohol than it is to a problem with buying in our culture. That's quite an interesting thing. And so some of you might know that actually if, I, if I'm feeling really rubbish or feeling unloved, if I go and buy some more stuff, even stuff and at its extremes, stuff I don't need anymore, but just that purchase makes me feel better. And then you carry on doing that, two things will happen. Your credit bill will be enormous and you will be trapped. You become a slave of the thing that offered you release. And Paul is saying, actually, that's what it was you used to be like. But thanks be to God that you became a slave to righteousness. That you found. He says, though you used to be slaves to that, you've come to obey from your heart a pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Uh, And he actually is meaning, I'm thinking differently about life. Now, interestingly, there is always going to be people around you and a way of our society that offers you a release that looks better and easier than God's. Always. And he goes on in that second half of that chapter to say, but of course you know that the benefits of that way of life led to death. 
Whereas actually, if you're a slave of God, it leads to holiness and to eternal life. And then he goes on, and I'm going to start in uh, verse 4 of chapter 7. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were controlled by our sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now, this is where it all becomes a bit, you've got to get your head around what he's talking about. Well, for some people in the church, they were Jewish people, background, and they understood about, well, we've got a law. Just keep the law and you'll be okay. But in chapter two, he's already said, actually, for some of you that are not Jewish background, you're, you're people who have a conscience. And that became a law. So you've actually kept the you've been trying to keep, you've been trying to be good. You've broken your own inward laws. And he says, the problem is that the law, whether it's the Old Testament law or this inward law, actually hasn't helped. What it's done is it's made you want to do the very things that you didn't want to do. Okay, so the classic example is, you see a sign that says, wet paint, do not touch. <laughs> Am I the only person in the room? <laughs> Keep off the grass. Am I the only one that is still tempted just to walk on the, not across it, but just on the verge of it? There's a cartoon here. It's not the clearest, but it, it does it well. It says, the essence of human nature. Absolutely no machete juggling along this path. And the bloke says, suddenly I've got an urge to juggle machetes. <laughs> it's that idea that I, I never really thought of doing it before, but now you've told me I can't. There's something within me that goes, yeah, it can't be that bad. I'd like to have a go now. I'd not have thought of doing that, actually. And Paul says, simply saying no is not enough. So let me use two examples again. Examples that are really well known. Anger. Some people in the room inevitably will struggle with anger. You find you burst out and you say stuff that you wish you hadn't said, etc., etc., etc. And you know how bad that makes you feel because actually it's gone against everything that's internal. You know you've hurt someone and you feel bad inside and you feel guilty and you wish you were different. So next time you go, I'm not going to let that happen to me. So you might read, uh, how do you control your anger? And people will say things like walk away. People will say things like count to ten. People will give you a number of sort of ways of handling anger. Some of them are good. Some of them are very common. But actually, the longer you go, the more you know you will probably keep falling into that same trap. Because simply saying, I want to change, is not enough for most of us. The other example uh, that is very obvious, but is the use of pornography on the internet. Google was invented for a whole, uh, Google and the internet was invented for a whole number of reasons, but I'm not sure they thought that the thing it would be used for the most was pornography. 
In fact, if anybody had come out and said, we've created a worldwide web that was going to be perfect for the distribution of pornography, and uh, we'll get people hooked into that, do you think that's a good idea? Not many of us would have voted for it. But it came along, and it is. Even for those who go, it violates the things I know. And it makes me feel bad. It makes me feel rubbish inside when I do it. But I keep getting back, drawn back to it. In fact, the more I say I won't, the more I'll say, oh, I'll just have a quick look. My, my willpower is not strong enough. The law, my own law, or God's law, is not strong enough alone. So what does Paul say? So, my brothers and sisters, you died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were controlled by our sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. So Paul says, actually, it's not now... So he's dealt with sin about who do you give allegiance to. Bob Dylan's words, you've got to serve somebody. It's either the, it's, you know, you've got to serve somebody. Um, I'll write it down. You've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord. You've got to serve somebody. It's very tricky lyrics to remember. Um, so he's dealt with that. You've got to serve somebody. And then he says, actually, your own willpower is not enough to deal with the stuff that's going on internally. And he goes, actually, the only way you're going to deal with that stuff is by recognizing that you've died in Christ, you've died to that, and you've been raised to life to live a different way. Uh, last week, I think it was, we talked about this idea of dying with Christ in baptism, that idea that when you were baptized, um, that your old way died. And it's almost as though, it's, I've got a cartoon for it, but it's almost like, you know, some people say, well, I've actually died to Christ, but as they've gone under the water, they've kept a lot of stuff above the water to say, I'd like to hang on to that, if you don't mind. And Paul says, actually, allow all to die so that you might serve the new way, the way of the Spirit. Last movie makes in this chapter. You okay so far? Now, there's a really big question that should be beginning to emerge from in your head. And um, uh, if not, this question might come. Verse 14 of chapter 7. We know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. That's kind of the problem I've got. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate to do, I do. And if I do what I do, not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I, myself, who do it. It's sin living in me. I know the good itself doesn't dwell in me. That's in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. For I don't do the good I want to do, but the evil I want to do, I don't want to do, rather. That's what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil's there, right there with me. In my inner being, I delight in God's law. 
But I see another law at work in me, making war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot of do-do's there. <laughs> and some of you are singing the song. Um, but essentially, it's encapsulating this. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. It's that conflicted thing. Now, Paul, okay, so just follow his, his, his message so far. He said, you become a slave of what you offer yourself to. Well, you've offered yourself to Jesus. Then he's going to say, actually, you, needed to, you need to die to the old stuff because even your own law, your own moral code isn't strong enough to keep you on the straight and narrow. And so actually, live for Christ. And if he doesn't do this bit, if he moves quickly to, so that's how to live, just live for Christ. At least some people in the room should say, well, actually, I am trying to live for Christ, but to be honest, it's more complicated than you make it sound, Paul. Because I want to do right, but I end up doing this. I don't want to do that, but I end up doing that. How can you explain that, Paul? Does that ring true? Now, Christians have argued about this passage for many, many years. Because it sounds like, for some Christians, it sounds like, well, you're a really bad Christian then, aren't you? You're rubbish. And so some people are going, well, maybe you weren't a Christian in the first place. Because if you're really a Christian, then you wouldn't do that sort of stuff. And other people go, well, maybe it's just going to be like that till you get to heaven. And, and to be honest, that's not great news, is it? <laughs> it's like, what, really? <laughs> You've got to keep on grinning, gritting your teeth and going for it? And Paul goes, actually, what we're able to do is we're able to own up that this is often how it is, but it's not the end of the story. Who will rescue me? Who will rescue me? What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Who will rescue me from those sinful desires that I keep falling back into? Who will deal with that stuff that is so deep within me that I fear I'm just losing the battle over? Who will rescue me from all of that stuff that makes me feel like a hypocrite? Who will rescue me from that stuff that means I can't own up to who I actually am? Who will rescue me from this awful, tormented life that sometimes I feel? That's the question Paul asks. And he says, thank God for Jesus. Thank God Jesus didn't come and say, can you just pull your socks up and try harder? Thank God Jesus didn't come and go, just clean yourself up, folks. Bit more willpower, come on, bit more backbone. Thank God Jesus didn't come and go, well, actually, you were always rubbish, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to bother you with you anymore. Thank God for Jesus who came and said, I know where you are. Now, the thing about the chapter divisions in the Bible are that sometimes they're really helpful and sometimes they're not. 
when Paul was writing a letter, he didn't get to the end of chapter 7 with this cliffhanger and go, <laughs> turn over the page, see what's going to happen in the next chapter. He actually just carried on writing. And later, people said, well, actually, in order that in church you might find where you are, let's split them into chapters. So you've got to carry on reading to chapter 8. Well, that's next week's sermon. But chapter 8 is, actually, it's not you trying harder. It's that the Spirit is here. That God himself wants to come in and actually release us from the stuff that's going on. And it's his spirit. I was wondering earlier. <coughs> you know, there's some, some folks, you get to a point where you go, oh God, just take all of that stuff away. And sometimes we sing songs that might appear that that's what God will do. God, make me holy. <laughs> Just take it all away. Make me holy. And I think what Paul is saying is, well, actually, yeah, you will, you will become holy. And God in Christ sees you as holy. But you will live a life of holiness. But it's be as the Spirit comes and lives. But unless you get so sick and tired of being caught. In one sense, you'll never look for the Spirit. And it is that old-fashioned stuff of only desperate people look for the way out. But the way out is the Spirit. And uh, he says, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by our sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful humanity to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in human flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those of you that struggle with anger, it's not you kicking yourself and beating yourself up and just feeling wretched because you've done it again. It's actually you coming back and going, God, I need to be filled with your spirit. That's what I need. The fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, that's it. So that in these situations, though, when then my buttons are pushed, actually something else happens. Those of you that struggle with porn, it's not, oh God, when I sit down in front of the computer again, please, can you sort me out so I don't want to click on it? It's actually, it's being aware of the power of the Spirit within us that says, actually, there's a better way, there's a different way. And when you're tempted, there's another way out. For those of us who go onto eBay or Amazon or down to the traffic centre and go, one more purchase will make me happy. Even though you know it won't. It's me, your spirit, come God. Because the very thing, the legitimate need that I have, I'm looking to meet it in wrong ways. Come and fill me. And to those of us who will naturally reach for the bottle, because the bottle offers a way out. Holy Spirit, come. Fill me once again.